Hi there, Clara Chenever, the Stepmom Coach, and welcome to Stepmom Advice and Wisdom Tips. You know, after many years of taking a break from podcasting, I decided to bring back some of my old podcasts. This one is from 2012, where I talk with Leslie McKeo, who is a licensed clinical social worker specializing in postpartum adjustment and perinatal loss. Her approach combines support, education, and counseling, and she often works with women and their partner in their recovery process as postpartum difficulties affect the whole family. She also has several years of experience working with adolescents and family. Now, if you're interested in knowing more about Leslie's work, go to www.leslie.com corevalue.com that is c-o-r-e-v-a-l-u.com and you can also check out postpartum.net which is an international organization now if you know someone or if you are personally suffering from postpartum depression or not sure if you are please check out these websites and get the help you need and I hope you enjoy this show so welcome, Leslie, to our show today. Thank you so much, Claudia. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Oh, I'm looking forward to you know about hearing about this topic. I think not enough people have an opportunity to talk about it, or at least have a frank discussion. And you know, I think it's there's more uh, women who are suffering from this than we re- we realize. So I'd like for you, Leslie, to share with us what is the percentage of women experiencing postpartum depression and related disorders? Well, the numbers that we have um, from a few years back is that almost up to 90% of mothers experience the baby blues. Um, So I just always want to kind of highlight that first because the baby blues is not a diagnosable disorder, but obviously you can see that most women experience the baby blues. But in terms of a a diagnosable disorder like postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety, right now we're seeing it up to about 25%. Um, And that's only with women who have who've reported it. So I'm sure there are other women out there who, you know, have kept this to themselves or, you know, have not sought support or help. And um, so the percentage may be even higher. 25% is, you know, is a pretty high number. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And it's true that women don't always talk about it. And so why is it do you think that women have a tendency to not share this that they're, you know, they're they're feeling blue or they're feeling depressed. What's making it that they're not sharing so much? Well, I think there's a few aspects. Um, there's kind of the stigma attached to to mental health issues, you know, to feeling depressed or feeling anxious about motherhood in general. Um, and then there's a, there's kind of some myths of motherhood that we all have in our minds a uh, expectation or perception of what it's going to be like. I think some of the reasoning being is there's a stigma attached to um, anyone who seeks help, right? So as much as um, postpartum depression and other mental health-related issues have been open into society, 
Uh, there's still that stigma piece. You know, we have some celebrities who have opened the doors up a bit with with their books, their sharing of what's going on for them. I have Courtney Cox and the one who wrote Down Came the Rain. Why am I blanking on her name? I think Brooke Shields. Brooke also. Shields, thank you. <laughs> um, so, you know, there, there's been a lot of media that has surrounded it as well, which has been helpful. <coughs> Excuse me. But along with that stigma and the media, we also have, you know, the case of Andrea Yates from 2001. And I think a lot of times people mm-hmm. are fearful that when they say they are feeling depressed or that they're just not feeling themselves, that those are going to feel is she going to harm herself or her child, like Andrea Yates? And so I think there's that stigma piece to it where uh, moms can be hesitant to reach out for support or or let people know what they're thinking or feeling. But I think Andrea Yates, if I'm not mistaken, is an extreme rare case, right? Absolutely, yes, absolutely. Her case was more of someone with postpartum psychosis. I'm sure there was a depressive piece of it, but... Uh, postpartum psychosis happens to one in two out of every thousand births. So it's very uncommon, and, you know, oftentimes it's with somebody who has had a history of psychosis or a severe maybe bipolar disorder. So we don't see a lot of it, but I think still the way that it had been portrayed into in the media was that it's that of postpartum depression. And so I think that could be part of why women are, um, you know, are hesitant because they don't want society or family or friends to think they're going to harm themselves or the baby because that's not often the case. But in addition to stigma, there's also some myths of motherhood that play a, play a part into a mom being reluctant to talk about it. Give us a, give some examples of that maybe. Okay. So, you know, according to Western cultural expectations, uh, motherhood is supposed to be the pinnacle event that a woman's born to do, right? Her her instincts kick in and her ability to nurture go into high gear. Or at least that's what we expect, right? <laughs> so there there are three myths that we kind of highlight here that that women can expect of themselves or perceive of, of others. The first one is that a maternal instinct. And with yes. maternal instinct, you know, it's that a mom is going to survive on her instincts alone without the help from others, Mm. right? So she doesn't need help from her mom or her mother-in-law or her friends who just had babies. She's going to figure it all out on her own Mm -hmm. um, because that's what moms are supposed to do. The baby cries. She's supposed to know if that means the baby's hungry or tired or wet or soiled. And, um, you know, that's not reality, but I think moms have that in their head. I can do it. You know, I can figure it out. If I'm the mom, I should have that mother instinct, right? Mhm. Mhm. Information you get is not the same as living through it. So, how important is it for for mothers, for young mothers, especially when they're starting out, to have a support system? A support system is huge. That's that's one of the primary things that we want to touch base with all moms on is to make sure that she is supported. Now, whether that be friends or family in the area, um, Mm -hmm. or joining a support group of some sort. But support is huge, especially that, you know, even with her partner, because, again, oftentimes what happens is mom is on maternity leave, but her partner has to go back, you know, back to work within a few days. So if there's no support there, 
than, um, you know, she's really left to feel overwhelmed trying to take care of the house and the baby and herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's a big adjustment. And so I'm assuming that when you not don't have any uh, support, it could contribute, right, to feeling those baby blues or to postpartum depression. And it, it, yeah. can it be a part of it? It can, absolutely. Like I said, the support system is one of the biggest pieces. So, you know, if a mom were to come into my office and kind of give me feedback as to what's going on for her, one of my first questions is going to be, you know, do you have support? Having someone who can come and help give her a break is going to be extremely helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mom can't be on 24-7, especially with the sleep deprivation early on. The more and more she becomes sleep deprived, the more symptoms of anxiety can occur and just feeling very frustrated and overwhelmed and sad mm-hmm. and depressed. So. so share with us, if you can, some of the causes a mother goes to or, or what is it that she experiences uh, postpartum depression. So what makes them go into that postpartum depression? Okay. Well, you know, again, um, as I was talking about the myths of motherhood, that those factors do play a piece into it, right? So I'll just um, finish off with those. We had done the maternal instinct, but another one that can contribute is the, the expectation of the maternal bonding. Again, you know, we see in the movies and we read in books that you have the baby and, you know, as soon as mom looks into the baby's, you know, eyes, it's this immediate bond. It's automatic and intense, Right. But, again, reality is that that doesn't always happen. Sometimes baby is born and mom just kind of looks at the baby and says, did I, you know, is that baby mine or whose baby is that? Mm-hmm. So it's not always that intense bond that that we think of, right? Mm-hmm. And the other one is that of super mom where mom is never self-serving or she never gets tired of the demands of, of her child or children and of the house. Mom is um, cooking and cleaning and taking the dog out and taking care of the baby and maybe an older child or children if if they're there as well. And all of that can contribute, right, because if you have these expectations of yourself that you can do all of this and then when you can't, then you start feeling guilt and shame related to the inability to, to keep up with these these expectations. Mm-hmm. And you know what, uh, Leslie, when, when you said maternal bonding isn't always automatic, I know for me personally, when I gave birth to my son, I, I felt like what you said, you look at this baby, yes, he's a really cute baby, he's nice, you know, it's someone I need to take care of. But there wasn't this overwhelming gush of love or affection that I thought I was supposed to have. (laughs) Right. And I was shocked, and I thought, what kind of a person am I to not feel this emotion? And for the longest time, I thought that I I must be, like, like, defective. But but I, I did learn over time that, you know, it's an emotion that grows as you fit into this role. And, you know, I was lucky enough to speak with other people 
at that time before we talked about postpartum depression. 28 years ago, we these kinds of conversations, we didn't have them. They just called them baby blues. Right. And so, but I'm glad that you're saying this because I hear a lot of women saying, I'm going to love this baby no matter what. And, you know, there is that reality that, it's not always an instant love, and it doesn't mean you don't love this child. It's not, it doesn't come immediately. Right, right? that's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, and for some it does, but, you know, but there are a, a good number of moms out there that it doesn't. And, um, you know, to understand that you're not alone in that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so sometimes too with these with these myths, uh, their partners' uh, misconception of the myths can reinforce these ideas to their wife. You know, the the idea of the nurturer versus the provider. Dad's gonna go off to work and make the money, and mom's on maternity leave or has decided to stay home. And so the way Dad feels that he can show his love and support is by working. And oftentimes when he he or your partner comes home from a long day and doesn't really know how to nurture the baby, you know, he'll say, well, you're the mom, you know, you figure it out. Or the baby must be hungry, feed him. And so this kind of reinforces those ideas. And mom can really feel badly that she's not being supported and she can start feeling resentful towards her partner. You know, and with mom being uncomfortable with the contrast of the myths and the reality of feelings following the birth, it creates lots of shame and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I think it's another example of talking that men and women are really different. I mean, we can do a lot of the same things, but I think there's part of us but biochemically, that makes us different, and, and we see things differently. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that is one area where, obviously, it makes a big difference. Right, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So tell me, Leslie, what is the difference between baby blues? And I know we touched it, but I really want to emphasize a little bit more on this. What's the difference between baby blues and postpartum depression? Okay. So again, you know, baby blues occurring up to, you know, 90% uh, with moms is that it generally begins three to five days postpartum, right? So you deliver your baby and uh, usually within that three to five day span is when your milk supply comes in. So it often coincides with that, the hormonal fluctuation. And the thing with baby blues is that it only lasts for up to two weeks. Okay. So that's a big, big indicator there in a misconception, isn't it? Because a lot of times you'll go to your obstetrician when you're not feeling like yourself and you're four, four months out and they say, oh, you're just having the baby blues, you're fine. But you're, but you're not <laughs> because, you know, it sounds like there's some support that would be needed then. So with baby blues, again, starts a few days after uh, delivery and then it lasts for up to two weeks. But then it should remit after that period. And pieces that you'll see is the ups and downs, the fluctuating mood of tearfulness and sadness, but also of periods of happiness and joy. Okay, so it's not a constant mom is crying every day, you know, can't get out of bed because she's so depressed. There is the fluctuation there. But um, difficulties with sleeping, 
which, you know, when you have a newborn, that that's pretty normal, right? Because a baby is um, trying to figure out their own way of sleeping here. So it's it's not too much of a marked symptom, but just know that that, that is a piece there. It's a difficulty uh-huh. with sleeping. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. I mean, you're having a baby that needs to be fed every two to four hours, Mm-hmm. And here you are, you can't be sleeping. I mean, it really disrupts your sleep. And when you don't sleep well, then you become cranky and tired and, and you're trying to figure out what is all this. And so that's a big, big adjustment. Right, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So if, if after the two-week period, you know, the, the symptoms of baby blues continue or if they worsen, or if they begin to interfere with their ability to parent, that's when we start looking at, you know, is a postpartum adjustment disorder, okay? So it's kind of, it's gone up a notch. And usually in that postpartum adjustment time frame, that's the best way, the best time for us to be able to give that support to a mom, you know, get her back on track and feeling more stable, okay? Uh, a lot of times you'll see issues with uh, the relationship with the parents. You know, mom and dad are fighting, Again, mom might be having some growing feelings of resentment or frustration with the with the husband. A lot of moms, if they're kind of that type A perfectionistic personality, um, mm-hmm. have a real hard time with the unpredictability of a baby, right? So mm-hmm. it's a lot harder to be scheduled and feel like you can check off, fed the baby, clean the baby, and you know, give the baby a blanket. You know what I mean? You can't just check it off and then all of a sudden the baby's fine. There's just a, a lot of unpredictability about it. So mm-hmm. oftentimes with me, what I'll what I'll do with moms is give them kind of an hourly calendar for the week and it just kind of helps them feel a little bit more in control when they kind of put down where their free time is, what's happening day to day, and if you can find some time in there for yourself. Uh, usually adds a little bit of relief for you. Next, Leslie shares about support groups, what they are, what to expect, and where to find them. She also shares some of the symptoms surrounding postpartum depression and what you can do, including some of the risk factors when it comes to postpartum. And make sure to listen right to the end where Leslie shares books online support, and ways to create a support system for yourself and for your family? Um, well, the support group is is through Postpartum Support Virginia, which is one of the, the state's organizations under the umbrella of Postpartum Support International. And uh, Postpartum Support Virginia has free support groups for moms suffering from postpartum adjustment or, you know, anxiety or depression. And it's a wonderful place for moms to meet other mothers experiencing similar symptoms or feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, everybody is going to have different symptoms, but all in all, the, the majority of the moms just aren't feeling like themselves or not feeling how they want to. And so it's a real nice place for you to know that you're not alone and that this is not your fault and that with help you will be well. And so in these in these groups, I mean, you, they get help and support and what they need in order to to start to feel better, right? Right. Well, what it is, it's a peer-led support group. So 
it's not a therapy group and it is a free group. So basically what it is, it's a, you know, a group of moms experiencing, like I said, a variety of feelings, emotions, or symptoms related to postpartum depression and anxiety. And it's just a place for them to come. You can come with your baby and, and just talk with other moms about what you're experiencing and it's a nice place for you to just be able to hear about how other folks are coping with with their symptoms, what's helped them, what they have any helpful hints, and just supporting one, one another. And again, knowing that you're not alone. Because women don't always talk about this, and you might not call your best friend and, and say, hey, you know, I'm really feeling down or, I'm, you know, I'm yeah. having a hard time here. Um, this gives you an outlet to speak with okay. other moms. Excellent. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the symptoms about or men, other mental health disorders that women should be aware of when we're talking about, you know, having a new baby and, and issues. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, first off, you know, with postpartum depression, some of the symptoms just to be aware of that when when you're feeling so down and depressed that it's interfering with your ability to take care of yourself um, or your baby, that's a huge indicator. You know, are you unable to shower? Are you unable to bathe the baby because you're having scary thoughts? Some of these scary or intrusive thoughts could be, you know, that you're afraid that you're going to drown the baby or when you're, oh my gosh, I might swaddle the baby too tightly and so therefore you're not going to swaddle your baby. So some of those are those like scary and intrusive thoughts that moms experience. So interfering with ability to care for yourself or the baby, having scary or intrusive thoughts, you know, marked sadness with or without crying. Sometimes you just feel overall sadness and other times moms are crying a lot. Sleep disturbances because of feelings of shame and guilt and anxiety. Isolating, okay, again, not going out, not doing Mm -hmm. things that you once enjoyed, not seeing friends or family or getting out to the grocery store, just staying in the house can be real isolating, um, Mm -hmm. make you feel worse, right? So we always encourage moms to get out at least once a day if you can. But when you see a mom who is not leaving her home, that that's an indicator too. Mm-hmm. Um, and often moms will just say a feeling of, this isn't me. I don't feel right. just don't feel like myself. Um, and another piece too is a lot of irritability and anger. Again, it's not always focused on the child, but irritability and anger with loved ones. Again, maybe your partner or, you know, another close family or friend. Mm-hmm. So those are some some big pieces to look for with postpartum depression. And then, of course, you know, if if any mom is ever having thoughts of harming herself, suicidal thoughts or harming the baby, then she needs to seek help immediately. But that is not always the main symptom of postpartum depression, and that's important to understand. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. And And so... Knowing this, what are some of the risk factors? I mean, you, I mean, you, we, we're talking about some of the the things here, and I'm assuming there are some risk factors in in postpartum issues, right? Right, there are. Yep, there are. There are a few areas to highlight. There's the biological, psychological, social, and then of course risk factors related to the childbirth and in delivery. So with biological, you know, is there a family history of mental health issues? 
if there was any kind of prior postpartum reactions with the mom, if she, you know, had some sort of postpartum adjustment issue or depression with her first child, that that makes her 50 to 80 percent uh, higher risk with subsequent children. Okay, wow. and it doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. You could have a mom who didn't have postpartum depression with her first child, but may with her second. Um, or with her first, not her second, but with her third. So uh, it doesn't discriminate in terms of timeline. It can kind of strike for various reasons. But it's important to know that if you do have a family history or if you yourself have a history of, you know, any kind of depression or anxiety, then you're, you're 50% or so more likely to experience it in the postpartum period. Okay? Mm. Um, wow. That's yeah. A- Number. I mean, I, I'm impressed. I mean, 50 to 80 percent higher, higher chance. It's a huge number, mm-hmm. especially if you're having more than one child. So if you're having a second, third, or fourth, I mean, those risks are are really, really important to be aware of, and to at least at least be aware of so that you know what to look for. Right, absolutely. And again, I would advise that if anybody did have issues with adjusting with their first child but did not seek help to, and they're pregnant or, you know, whatnot, to seek help and, and get a postpartum survival guide kind of set out and planned for so that you have that support and that, that plan once your baby is born. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So some so, other risk factors, just to, yes. to note, um, you know, if there is a mom who is having fertility issues, you know, again, you know, if she had the financial aspect and the, the emotional aspect of um, fertility treatments, you know, she may think, boy, we paid so much for this child, or it took so long for us to conceive, and now we have, and why am I not happy? You know, what's wrong with me? Shouldn't I be happy now? Um, so that that piece there is important to note. If there's been any perinatal loss, right, miscarriages, um, stillbirths, or having to terminate a pregnancy due to medical reasons, or any past abortions, all of that, all of that can play a part into risk factors. And of course, the the social aspect too. You know, oftentimes people tend to buy a new and, and larger home um, when a baby is is about to be born, right? They feel they need more space. So, you know, even though it could be an exciting um, new endeavor, but trying to unpack and get yourself all settled into a new house or a new job or things like that, those are all risk factors too. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense. I mean, you know, stress and financial stress or any kind of stress really affects us and are being able to think clearly, cope well with any of the things that are happening to us. And definitely having a baby brings in stress factors. And so you shared a lot of things about, you know, the risk factors and and some of the myths. Where can people go to get help? Where can a woman go to find help? Or what is it that they can do to, to get help? Mm-hmm. If anyone you know who is listening to this broadcast, my my main thing would be to to say look online at Postpartum Support International because that's going to give you um, each state and 
they can click on the state and then find out where there are support groups or where there are counselors or therapists or psychiatrists who are specially trained to work with this population. Postpartum Support International is going to be a great resource there. There are several books that moms can read that may be helpful in just, you know, letting you know that you're you're not alone in your thoughts. You know, they just give a lot of validation. Karen Kleiman has several books out. One of my top top ones now is um, one focused on postpartum anxiety. Again, those scary, intrusive thoughts that I was referring to. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a, a book out that's called Dropping the Baby and Other Scary Thoughts, Breaking the Cycle of Unwanted Thoughts and Motherhood. And that mm-hmm. one is a really helpful book that I refer a lot of my moms to read. So there's that one. There's a, the Postpartum Survival Guide by Ann Dunwald and Diane Sanford. That one's a really fantastic one as well. Um, And so those are some resources. Oftentimes moms will go to their obstetricians and and ask for help and they'll be prescribed medication. Some moms don't need medication. Hopefully a obstetrician may have a resource that she can give for a therapist, someone who can, you know, talk through uh, with this mom to see what is going to be the best route for her, or a psychiatrist who's trained in the area as well. Okay, good, good. And let's say someone went to therapy sessions because they they really need it. What could they expect? Because I know sometimes people are uh, might be scared or worried about going to therapy. So what is it that they could expect if they went and had therapy? Okay. Well, you know, the hope is that they would uh, they gain some validation in their feelings because, again, they're not alone with that percentage that we already said. You know that she's not the only mom out there, although she may feel like she's the only one who's experiencing this. So really just to, to validate where she's coming from and to help educate her a bit on postpartum issues and then really to focus the first or so session on self-care. Mom, you know, able to to do the things that she needs in order to feel nourished and healthy and well. So is she eating, eating healthy snacks, eating healthy meals? Um, is she drinking enough, um, you know, water and, and juice and healthy liquids that are going to help her with, you know, her milk supply if she's nursing and to help her heal if she's having, if she had a C-section? You know, there's the whole post-surgery piece for those moms as well. So uh, eating and drinking well is very important. Obviously, getting as much rest as she can. You know, does she have a support system that can watch the baby so she can at least lay down even if she's not napping? And if a mom is a little bit further out uh, in the postpartum period, a few months out, and feels that she can have that me time, go out and have a date with her husband or go have a, a girl's afternoon out just to get away and just to have some time for herself and with her friendships and relationships, it can just make you feel like yourself again uh, and not that you're fully tied to your baby all the time. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, Leslie, you know what? I, I'm a strong advocate for self-care. So any other moms that are there and wondering, you need to take care of yourself, go out, do something, call a friend, or let dad take care of the baby too. Right, right. Because oftentimes what happens is mom kind of loses that sense of herself. She becomes Susie's mom instead of 
who she really is, who was she before she was a mom and a wife, and can it can really be a, a loss of identity. So it's yeah. important for her to get back to going out with friends and doing things for her and, and getting into activities that she enjoys. Definitely. I mean, yeah, she is one of her roles is Susie's mom, if you wish, but it's not the only role or identity she has. And to lose that is is very is very sad. I think eventually it is. Right, absolutely. And you would ask, you know, again, what what a mom can expect in a therapy session. And you know, there are a few different modes of therapy that are most effective for um, moms in the postpartum period. And the ones that we tend to focus on are the interpersonal relationships. And also on cognitive behavioral therapy, and it's you know it's important to seek out a therapist who who's familiar with those strategies. You know, with cognitive behavioral therapy, we take a look at the cognitions or your thoughts, identify the negative patterns of thinking, and try to kind of untwist them and look at a more positive light. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, looking for someone who actually knows or is familiar with these kinds of uh, practice is really important. Right, absolutely. And so, uh, you know, I'm I'm thinking, you know, that you you need to be shopping around for a therapist, right? You you just don't pick the first one that comes unless they really are a fit. Right, absolutely. You know, I know it's hard and it's frustrating because you just want to be able to go in and, and talk to someone and hope it Hope it's helpful, but you know sometimes you do have to therapist shop. You're not always going to have um, the right fit the first time, and you want to make sure that you feel comfortable with that therapist, or else you're not going to feel fully able to open up and share and get the support that you need. Are there some questions they should be asking a therapist or someone that's in the field of helping them? Some kind of questions you should be asking them in order to get the most help or the most support? Um, well, I think it's important for moms to ask if this, if the therapist is, you know, trained to work with women in the postpartum period or if they are familiar with, you know, women's issues. Because sometimes some of the symptoms that a mom may reveal, again, some of these scary, intrusive thoughts, if a, if a therapist isn't fully trained to understand where a mom's coming from at that time, they may have a harder time in directing them to the, to the best way to be supported. So mm-hmm. I think it's, it's important to ask if they have special training. Make sure that the hours are going to work for you. I know that might sound silly, but it, it makes a big difference. You don't want to be feeling even more stressed about someone who can't meet your needs. You want to see, too, if the therapist is open to having your partner come in for a session or two to, you know, maybe to help, you know, the partner understand what's going on in this postpartum period. You know, and again, is the is the therapist trained in either cognitive behavioral work or interpersonal therapy? Because those those have been kind of the, the proven methods that have worked best in this time period. Correct. And again, you know, when you're not used to doing this or, or you've never gone to a therapist or had to deal with any of these issues, it's really sort of like daunting. Where do I start? How do I get the help? What do I ask? What do I look for? 
Mm-hmm. And I think that those are, are things that, you know, to it's a good idea to address those and, and get them thinking about what they need. Any helpful um, hints that you could give to moms who are listening about ways of dealing and really making sure they get the support they need? Uh, I would just really encourage a mom to, you know, to open up her communication and let someone know how she's feeling, whether that be her partner or a friend or her own mother or, you know, other family members. If not, to look online, again, Postpartum Support Virginia, if you're living in Virginia, or Postpartum Support International, and make that phone call and just reach out to someone so that you know that you're not alone and that you're not to blame for these feelings and and that you are going to get better with help. It's important to understand that moms do get well, but if you don't reach out for that support, it's not necessarily just going to go away. You often do need that, that support. And, and don't be afraid to to reach out. And again, I think this is such an important topic because, you know, we tend to just brush it off, oh, I'll go away in a few days or a few weeks, and then weeks goes, um, you know, the, the weeks extend, and then we say, well, uh, I'm sure it's nothing, and, and we tend to minimize it. And I think it's important for us to have these conversations, share this information, and we're not going to all be Andrea Yates. Those are extreme cases that are very rare, but we we do need to talk about them and address them. Right, and what's important to note as well is that the postpartum period is from childbirth through the first year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these symptoms can kind of creep up at various times. It's not necessarily going to happen four weeks out. It could happen six weeks out. Or, again, if a mom is nursing when she uh, when she weans her baby, sometimes the hormonal fluctuation there can add a piece. So it's important just to, to keep in check that whole first year. Mm-hmm. Great. So thank you so much, Leslie, for sharing this great and important information. I know, like I said, I, I've seen it a part, in part in my personal life, and, and uh, I know some moms who are going through this or, or have gone through this, and I wanted everybody to hear and have an opportunity to get good, solid information so that they could find ways to feel better about themselves and their, their new babies. All right. Well, I appreciate you having me on and helping to raise awareness. You know, hopefully moms out there can get the support that they need. Yes, definitely. Again, so if you want to know more about Leslie, she has her own website, which is www.corevalue.com, and that is spelled C-O-R-E-V-A-L-U.com. Or you can go to Postpartum Support Virginia or PostpartumVA.org, correct? Yes. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of Stepmom Advice and Wisdom Tip. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe to my channel and share it with your friends, family, and fellow stepmoms who might be looking for additional support in her life. 
I also invite you to check out my website at stepmomcoach.com where you'll find a wealth of resources on all matters surrounding stepmotherhood. Until next time, take care.